Eat, drink, chat with Soho House. Hello and welcome to Eat, Drink, Chat with Soho House. I'm Jonathan Heath, your host for this London instalment, where I'll be talking to an extraordinary lineup of guests who are at the forefront of film, music, art, fashion, and beyond. Join me as each episode I catch up with a different person over breakfast, coffee, lunch, cocktails, dinner, and room service, all coming to you from Soho houses around London. All right, here we are. White City Soho House, looking as glorious as usual. Today, I'm joined for a mid-morning pick-me-up with artist and filmmaker Sam Taylor-Johnson. Sam first came to prominence as one of the young British artists, the YBAs. Moving from art to feature film, Sam has carved out a successful career as a director, most recently with her latest film, A Million Little Pieces. I'm really excited about meeting Sam. In fact, I have worked with Sam, I'm sure she won't remember, but I remember a long time ago when we did a actor's portfolio out in Los Angeles. But um, she had such a presence then, I could feel a real charisma and a real kind of talent there. Um, and it felt like a privilege to work with Sam on that project. Here we go, through the doors. Sam and I sat down for a coffee at White City House. Here we are. Good morning. Hello. I recognise you. How are you, you, Sam? How are you doing? I'm great. Come, please yeah. sit down. I don't know Take where to sit. Where would you like to sit? Let's have, well, I, well, let's have the sofa if that's all right. Yeah, that's good for you. That's all right. It's fine by me. I'm gonna sit cross-legged and get very comfortable <laughs> at home here. Um, so you're in from Los Angeles, or home from Los Angeles, or going back to Los Angeles, or where are you now? We are here. We home is Los Angeles. Right. For nine months of the year. Okay. And then Somerset is home for three months. Of nice. Yeah, it's not a bad mix. Hello. Would yes. you like to get anything to drink to start with? Some green tea and some water would be lovely. Thank sure. You. Would you like steel or sparkling water? Still, please. I'm just going to get a cappuccino. Thank you. Thank you. When I went to LA last, I used to go there a lot, um, but last time I was there, it was just about a week after those terrible mm, fires. Mm. It was devastating for that community. Yeah. And I do know people that lost their homes yeah. and that whole community was devastated by mm, it. Mm. And I think still reeling from it and then, you know, fearing the future and hoping it doesn't happen again. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, that was devastating. Were you there recently? Were there some bad tremors talking about kind of... Um, I was here when that happened. Here, yeah. I have been there when it's... And not um, just tremors, actually, but... No, it was a proper but, but earthquake. Proper shakes, yeah. It was yeah. a proper earthquake. I've been there in an earthquake before. It's, it's unsettling, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely unsettling. Well, OK, let's go. <laughs> Where do we go from earthquakes and fires? Um, I mean, in little pieces, I guess, you're... This is very <laughs> exciting. And its own sort of, like, storm, I'm yes, sure. Yes. Um, How's that been, that experience? Are you finished now on it? Are you? Um, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, to go from the beginning, we we shot this movie in 20 days. Okay. And wow. it's, I think, the thing I'm most quick. proud of. Is it? Is that right? Yeah. Wow. It, it was unbelievably intense, but it was also the most rewarding because... The reason we shot it in 20 days was we had a very small budget, which yeah. is very creatively freeing. Mm. So, you know, you have to wear these things up, and, and I needed a very creatively freeing experience. And this came along as an opportunity. The book had reverted back to James Fry. Okay. 
I got in touch with him and said, you know, would you consider letting me option the rights and selling it and I'll try and raise the funds. He was, and he immediately was like, I don't want any money. You can have the book. You have to make it in the spirit in which I wrote it, which was I wrote it as art. And I know you're an artist and I think that's how you should make the movie of it. I won't interfere. If you need me, I'm here. If you don't, I'll see you when you want to see me. <laughs> and he wow. said, or I'll see you at the premiere if there is one. And uh, he said, or not. I don't know if I even ever want to see it. And uh, wow. so it was really with the spirit of those words, go make art as I intended it to be, mm. that propelled me through the journey of which it's been honestly the most rewarding thing I've, I've done. So obviously there was a lot of controversy surrounding the authenticity of the story, which was originally marked as a memoir, but later recognised as a semi-fictional work. Did you decide to just take the book as it was, as an artistic endeavour, or did the controversy worry you and feed into your own adaptation? I made a I decision. I read the book when it first came out, within the months of its release, mm. um, prior to its journey in the world of controversy. And... Uh, and I made the decision that what that book meant to me in that moment was the most important part of it. What really interested me and captured my imagination and sort of freed me up to make, you know, a filmmaker's film was mm. the book. Mm. And the book DNA, if you like, really just stayed with me, you know, across all that time period. And mm. as an artist, I remember, you know, filmmakers optioning the book and going to a studio and, and I would track it. And I was not a filmmaker, but I oh, remember really? hoping if they do it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. you. Lovely cup of tea. tea. Here we go. Thank you. Delicious. A little caffeine. So how did this differ from making your first from No Web Boy? It's interesting because someone once said to me, you only get to make your first film once. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> because the truth in that is your first film, you're so over excited you go in wide-eyed and in my world you know I'd made a short film but really I wasn't particularly experienced and you know in your first film you learn on the ground and yeah. you are learning fast and everything is moving at pace this film really benefited from the second movie which was a difficult and trying experience and every lesson I learned lessons I didn't want to learn in my lifetime, right. stood me in good stead for making this third film. Okay. So although it was a horrendous experience, I mean, there are upsides to the experience, but, you know, it was a creatively a difficult experience. Mm. This, it sort of made me so focused in having creative joy with this movie that it was like going more than back to basics in a way because the this film was actually a lower budget than my first film, No right. Way Boy. Right. And with good reason, because this, you know, the world in which we in inhabit, it needed to be honed into a very specific journey. It couldn't have glossy, a lot of money attached to it. It had to be shot in the way that we shot it. So the way it differed from the first one is I had less money and less time, mm. but it was creatively so freeing which I really needed after the second film mm. and you know there's a scene in it where James our protagonist is is heading into the rehab facility right. and as he's heading in 
the walls start to bleed shit and the corridor fills with shit and he's freaked out and he's obviously still hallucinating and in an other altered state but and he's frightened and he's heading in to the unknown and so it was really important that he then saw the shit and thought no this is the world in which I'm comfortable I know shit I know (laughs) fucking shit and so he dances in it and he does this strange sort of almost shamanic dance in this shit and then slides through the shit (laughs) through the into the rehab facility and so creatively that's filmmaking at its best when Mm. you can be creative like that and then see it work yes raw have the pineapple cake amazing some coconut cream very nice. Oh my gosh, so good. Mm. Um, you, you talk for a minute. Oh, good. I'll talk for a minute. <laughs> um, I remember, so I got, uh, in fact, I tried to find a exhibition catalogue of yours. I think, did you, did you have, a, have something at the Hayward Gallery a long time ago? I there did. was a, There was a series of stills of, had, of like um, boys in, in America behind cars and all very kind of like amber hued and. I have that exhibition catalogue, and I was going to bring it because I was just like this. I remember that was my when I first encountered your work. Remember. It was it was it was quite a long time ago. I remember yeah. though because it, it was my stepfather, and I nicked it because I loved it so much. Oh, thanks. And then obviously got to know your work with some of your video work, and uh, you know the commissions for the National Portrait Gallery with David Beckham, and the, mm. the huge Selfridges wraparound, all that mm. stuff. Um, sometimes when I think about your work, I think about the how much of you there is in there and not just like the physical you but you as your life and you as an artist within yeah. those within those pieces what's it like now making a feature film where I guess it's you're not the subject to a certain extent so that difference yeah. between art and the used yeah. to make and now now film that you make well it's interesting because I think when I was making any of the films as an artist the process and the experience of that was always really frustrating because I would love the process and experience of creating the installations, working with um, actors, well-known or not, Mm. um, working with a camera crew, but it would last a day and it would be a lot of preparation and one day done. And so I always yearned for the experience of that being more drawn out. And Seamus McGarvey, who's a brilliant cinematographer, was the guy I would go to with the crazy ideas of, you know, I've got an idea, they're at a party, and there's like seven different screens, we've got seven cameras in the middle of the room, and it's all filming. And he'd look at me and then love the challenge, but look <laughs> at me like, okay, how are we going to do that? But And so working with him, I think, really sort of made me feel like I can take the leap from being an artist in into being a filmmaker. And so when I then went on to make a short film, he was naturally the first person. And uh, it I don't know, I felt like extremely at home in, instantly when I was on set and super excited that I was now yeah. making movies. Yeah. How much does the commercial restraints or restrictions or demands mm. of making a movie impact what you do? And do you have to... Is that... Was I guess as an artist, you're like in some ways maybe you're trying not to think about that at all, but just mm. make this sort of, you know hold on to the purity of the art. Yeah. Whereas I guess movies, are, people you know, there's the backers and they want yeah. some money being made somewhere along the line. Well, I mean, towards the end, not I mean, towards not the end, let's say towards the beginning of my film <laughs> career, as I was heading into my film mm. life, I'd become disenchanted with the art world because I'd lived in the eye of the storm 
of the commercial aspect and I had seen far too much. Right. I'd seen too much of the mechanics. I'd seen too many art fairs. Yeah. I'd, I, it was in my home life yeah. and I was so ready to turn away from that. So going into film, I knew that you know, Nowhere Boy was an independent and it was for the love of the story and I didn't for once think about whether it was a commercial film or right. what its audience was. Mm. I just knew I loved the story as written by Matt Greenhouse and mm. how beautifully he'd contextualised that early part of his life. Mm. I think that with Fifty Shades, um, let's just get it out of the way. Let's <laughs> talk <laughs> about that grey elephant in the room. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey Elephant. Um, I was all teed up to do a very entirely different period costume drama right. that fell through and in the 11th hour someone said, go in for this meeting and and I knew what this book was. I knew... In terms of you'd read it or you knew what the, no, phenomenon, read the phenomenon that it was? I knew the phenomenon and I was completely fascinated by the phenomenon of mm. it. Mm. And then I read it and thought, I can see a path through this. I can see a path where this could be a really fascinating, fucked up adult fairy tale. Yeah. That's not what I the journey I was put on. No. <laughs> I chose one journey, I was put on a very different one. And um By who were you put on that other journey? By 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 restrictions that the that the author was, put on you very, or very you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And um you know, the author who wrote the book had a very, very strong vision of how she wanted the movie. Mm. And she hired an artist who creatively has very strong, you know, visions and they were polar opposites. Mm. And so how do, how do we then make it work? Right. You know, for her perspective of trying to keep it very, very close to the book she'd written and had in her head and mm. me trying to take it as I've got a path where I can yeah. see this could be really you know, fascinating if we take it this way. And so, you know, it, it meant creatively we were constantly mm. turning and throwing, which creatively yeah. is extremely draining I'm and sure. creatively becomes soul-destroying when you're yeah. having to, you know, get to places. But, you know, ultimately I have to sort of let that go and know that that taught me you know, you know, you learn more mm. lessons that um, your mistakes, I guess, through your mistakes. Taste, yeah. Or I would never say it was a mistake. I would say more. I learnt it through the adversity. Yeah. Um, no. But the thing is, I'm proud of it, and I okay, and well, I stand and I stand by it okay. in the sense that. Well, that's an. I mean, that that can't mean that it's completely, no, you know, I'm null and void, and it's not. What I'm you kind proud of, wanna... of, and that I am proud to own, is that that whatever my initial vision was isn't what I created. But there is still a through line of that vision within the movie. Mm. And, you know, it was a successful movie. And I think for women filmmakers, mm. it's tough. And I think as a woman filmmaker to have created something that then scored big at a box office was actually an important step yeah. for me personally as well as I hope for, you know, up-and-coming filmmakers, that that's possible, not necessarily that it's what you want to do, yeah. but it is possible, which then should show an industry, mm. you know, we women filmmakers can score big at box offices yeah. too. And yeah. I think that was what I came... That's what I'm most proud of, I think, now. 
would you, I guess, kind of dalliance with something that, a phenomena that was that big and up against a sort of a, another creative force, rightly or wrongly, was also quite powerful. Would it put you off doing another big kind of commercial project well, like that it, again? Let me put it this way. A Million Little Pieces was perfect for me because it was small budget, which meant no one was... Messing. Messing. <laughs> no one had any expectations. One way that I was lucky that I was trusted to make the film I wanted to make. Mm. And I was lucky in that Aaron and I were allowed to collaborate and write it, mm. to produce it, for him to... You know, we could call those shots. And I think that... For a filmmaker is a dream, mm. so so I feel like I, I've experienced you know every possible realm you know from sort of independence uh, first movie to huge box office to something creatively satisfying. Yeah. I guess from here it'd be quite nice to do something beautifully creatively satisfying, but with more time in yeah. order to you know I talk with my other filmmaker friends they're like yeah I, that scene it was a three day shoot. I'm like, Three days. Let's do <laughs> like something in an hours, hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it would literally be like, now, 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 we've got wow. to get it. <laughs> wow. So how was? Um, I mean, you met. So it'd be at, nice to have the luxury of time. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. You were with Aaron on your first film when, bef- I guess, before you knew him properly. Yeah. Now you're working with him as your husband. Ten how years was that? Later. How was that? Um, I mean. Uh, it's literally the perfect dream scenario mm. in the sense that on other projects I'd be going to work thinking, I'm leaving the best actor at home. What is going <laughs> on here? <laughs> and um, and then I'm seeing him going off to work with other directors and thinking, oh, you're so lucky because he's such a sort of wealth of talent. Mm. And um, and you tap into that talent, right, it's, you know, it's gold dust. And so... Um, so it is. It's a, it's a dream, and and collaborating as writers was the first time we'd ever done that, yeah. and it was really interesting to see how that really polarized our our characters in the sense that Aaron can be very still and sit yeah. and write for five eight hours. Yeah. I can sit for ten <laughs> twenty minutes, and I can fire at him, you know, creative ideas, and then he can just very calmly, without interruption. Whereas I need to have two three things on the go. Um, in order to think yeah. in a weird way, mm. but you know he has he has this stillness, and I have this mad energy. So amazing! I always often wonder this as a you know filmmakers that are right in the thick of the industry to a certain extent. Do you go to the cinema in LA? Do you yeah. go to do you, wh- yeah, all what, the time? How is culture out in LA? Is it is it you know a long time ago people used to say that you know. There's a lack of culture, apart from the industries that are there and being generated there in the film industries. There's a kind of lack of that sort of, you know, theatre and art or whatever out in LA. But I, I don't. Is that true anymore? It seems to be that. I don't of... think it's so true. I think now there's a lot of amazing galleries there. There's great museums, um, art museums mostly. Um, if uh, theatre, there are theatres, mm. but there's of course an abundance and more in New York and in London. Um, but um, I like the fact that we live in the heart of a city surrounded by nature. Yeah. So I live in mountains, so I can get up and I can walk for a couple of hours and, you know, just wild. Be in the elements, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what about summer? 
Where do you go in summer? So you spend it here? Here. Here. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, because I want the kids to have a sense of, uh, I mean, it, they have strong American accents. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I've got two with strong British accents yeah. and two with strong American accents, okay. and it is what it is. It's, uh, it's cute. Um, so houses, do you spend much time in them? Um, Babington House I, yeah. I, is my favourite, so her house, I think, because when we come back for, in the summer, that's a good place for us mm. to go and kids can run yeah. wild. We can sit and eat. Exactly. Um, and, it's all uh, easy. It's a great house, that one. Um, but I also use and love the beach house. Right, okay. Malibu. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's glorious. I mean, there's nothing quite like sitting right on the ocean. Yeah. And sometimes, not very often, but sometimes Aaron and I would drop the kids off at school and mm. then drive down. Nice. And just walk on the beach and have breakfast. How idyllic is that? <laughs> that, so, that is very appealing. Um, so what item do you take with you everywhere? I think we have to discount the phone, otherwise that's the most boring <laughs> answer. Um, but camera, mm. Leica camera. Mm -hmm. The reason being that I don't want to, I'm trying to uh, train myself constantly not to just reach for my phone and okay. to keep... To take photos. To keep the camera alive. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I take with me. That's good. Well, here's something interesting that I think. I think that the way I could shoot a movie in 20 days is because I trained on film. Right. Because you don't waste a right. second. And so your mind is trained to compose quickly. Mm, mm. And you can't just take, you know, a thousand pictures of no. the same thing. Yeah. You're taking one, especially, you know, like growing up through... You know, student days and not having any money for yeah, processing yeah. film, right. let alone you know buying more film. You're so mindful of each frame being mm. perfect mm. that you know, cut to however many years later, let's not say <laughs> <laughs> a few later, that then you're you don't lose that mindset. Yeah. So I am making you know a movie, and in a short space of time, I can compose quickly, mm. and I and I have I don't even feel like I have confidence in it. It's second nature. I just yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. And and so I think, you know, you taking pictures on film is, you know... It, it's it good does. training of some sort or the other. <laughs> yeah, but it also, it gives you, I don't know, it just gives you a different mindset to photography. There's absolutely nothing like it. I mean, I'd love to shoot another film on film. Mm. Do you... Um, um, I was going to ask you about, I mean, I did History of Art and went through that this sort of um, movement or whatever it is called, the, mm. the YBAs, the Young British yeah. Artists, who were so successful, late 90s, mid-late mid 90s, around yeah. that era. Do you think about that time still, about what ha that time meant to you about...? Almost never. Right. <laughs> good. <laughs> not, for any, on. not for any reason that I am... I'm not very good at looking back. Like, if, right. you, if you, for example, if you said to me, um, what year did you leave college? I have no idea. <laughs> Um, what year did Nowhere Boy come out? I have no idea. Right. I'd never know dates or... No. I always... I'm hopefully quite present, mm. if not, um, you know, looking forward. Mm. I think if I looked back too much, it would be quite crippling. Right. And I think that uh, I don't like that feeling, so I'm very much about now and forward. But do you... I mean, because I still remember just going around the exhibition um, sensation and knowing yeah. that it was something that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. The kickstart of all that, of, I guess, the hype around it and mm. and the talent as well. 
did it feel special and did it feel still feel as exciting as it didn't as... feel quite at the time it didn't feel like it does in hindsight no. as as something you know powerfully important mm. i don't i don't know i felt i remember going sensation why is it called that oh yeah so i kind of look back on that as very strange times for right. me, a little bit but you know i still spend time with a lot of those those, guys, still, those guys, yeah, yeah. I mean, those friendships are yeah. my are my core mm. friendships. I mean, recently went on a road trip with uh, Gary Hume and oh, right. really? you know Aaron and I and the kids went to stay with Tracy Emin in right. her house in France. Yeah, a, yeah. not last year, maybe the year before, and and just I don't know this you know those old friendships where you can just sit and be, mm. um, and especially when you move country, you you value those so yeah. highly because when you when you when you change your environment so drastically, mm. you realize you suddenly go, where is that person where I can just sort of lie on a sofa and watch friends mm. with, you know, and yeah, not yeah. be judged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, you know, that sort of feeling. Do you ever go back and look at, I mean, or do you have some of your art where you can still see it? Not really. I don't have it. I don't have it on my walls at home. I see it in other people's houses, mm. so I like to give it to friends quite okay. often. So then, it's, then I go around and see it. Would you go back to that that way of working again? I never stop thinking in that way, mm. um, and I've never stopped working in that way. Mm. I just haven't shown it. I've got work that I've been working on for the past however many years, but it's just in my studio and not. In the world. Not out there yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, exciting if it does come out. Sam, it's been lovely sharing tea and a bit of cake and some Pineapple coffee with you. Pineapple cake, thank you. Um, thanks so much for the chat. Yes, thank you. This episode of Eat, Drink, Chat was brought to you by Soho House and Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, Jonathan Heath, and featured Sam Taylor-Johnson. It was produced by Natalia Rodriguez with casting by Joe Dunk and the executive producer was Harry Watson.